title of this series is called Our Mission, Our Purpose. And this part one would be like an introduction. Uh, I'm going to do a little history so that you understand the context of what what is happening at that time and how it relates to what's happening now. And then I will jump into where we are going. As I said, the main focus of this series is to help us identify why we are here and what we ought to be doing. I don't know if you ever asked yourself, why am I here? Why was I born? What is my purpose? You know, I don't know if you ever asked yourself that, but I asked myself that. Mission, I'll just define what mission is and purpose is. Mission is defined simply as the assignment. The assignment. Purpose is defined as the reason for something or uh, why something is created or why it exists. So mission is defined as assignment. Purpose is defined as the reason why something is created or exists. Okay? So Jesus knew his mission and he knew his purpose. And because he knew that, it kept him focused. While he was on this earth, there was a lot of upheaval, social and political upheaval. And I'm going to give a little background, a little history of what the climate was like when Jesus was born and when he was doing his ministry. So the country layout had, at that time, had the northern and southern territories and in between was the region of the Samaritans, which consisted, consisted of mixed-race Jews who were hated. They were hated by the people in the north and the people in the south because the Samaritans weren't pure Jews. They were mixed from uh, people from Assyria, from outside races. So they were hated. The land was occupied, of course, the northern southern territories, and the, all the region were, were Occupied by also by Rome, by the Roman soldiers, by the people that uh, that the, that Rome put in charge over various regions of that of that of that area. There were three main groups of sects or sects which were influential during the time of Jesus: the Sadducees, the Pharisees, and the Essenes. And included with them was the will of Rome. Only a small minority of people actually belonged to these sects. But they had a strong influence. These groups can be compared like today to Christian denominations. Not so much the others, uh, not, you know, not Buddhism, not, not uh, Hinduism, none of that. Just at that time, because of the region, the main Religion was Judaism. And then in between that you had the Pharisees, the Sadducees, the Essenes, and so forth. Alright? So that's com- comparing to now where Christianity you have, you have, um, ev- ev- evangelicals, you have Catholics, you have Episcopalian, and so forth. Okay? So these groups, as I say, compared to Christian denominations like now, and they're also, and also the modern political parties. So back then you had the Sadducees, the Pharisees, and the Essenes. 
and also they and also you had politics involved, just like today. In ancient Judea, uh, in ancient Judaism, there was no sharp distinct distinction between religion and politics. Okay, all three groups were concerned with religious behavior and also with the political issues. So politics and religion were mixed. The Sadducees were apparently of the elite, the wealthy class, and were closely allied with the high priestly families. They had a following among the rich only, or mainly among the rich, where the Pharisees had a greater following among the common people. During those times, the territories were governed either by kings who were friends and allies of Rome. So they were called client kings or puppet kings, or by governors supported by a Roman army. So when Jesus was born, all of Jewish Palestine, as well as some of the neighboring Gentile areas, were ruled by Herod the Great. Now, Herod the Great was a Jew. He was a king in the region where Jesus was born. Now, the high priest was appointed by the king, King Herod, who was a vassal or a client king of Rome, which meant that he remained king, Herod remained king, and enjoyed its, its privileges as long as he did the will of Rome. Alright? So he was a figurative king, but the people who were really pulling the strings were Rome. As long as he did the bidding of Rome, he was allowed to rule and enjoy the benefits. Now, the Essenes were inhabitants of desert dwellings in and around, and around ancient Palestine and dedicated their lives to a singular purpose. And what was that purpose? Was the accumulation preservation and the ultimate dissemination of the sacred knowledge that lay at the very foundation of what the Christian world refers to as the Old Testament books of the Bible. So they are responsible for the accumulation of all these this different information which is assigned or which we identify as Christians as the Old Testament uh, part of the Bible. Now, the Roman emperors, nor the Hellenistic kings who ruled over Palestine collected taxes directly. Rather, they operated through client-patron systems. So this is how the rule, the Rome, and how the Hellenistic kings, how they collected taxes. They didn't do it directly. They had an intermediary. So the, the patrons were typically members of the elite class who had wealth or power and thus could offer protection or other benefits to client in return for the client's loyalty and goods. Now the brokers were people in the middle who would put patrons in touch with clients. Even rulers like King Herod who were essentially clients of the Roman emperor governing with emperor's approval. So basically... The patron and client, how that work? The patron is like Rome. The client is like the king. And how they collected taxes, they would put the patron, whoever had the power and influence, 
he would have, he would be the patron, he would have clients or people in certain areas who would collect the taxes and bring the money to them. And then when it comes to the king or whoever the, pat- the patron is, they give their cut to Rome. So the patron gets his cut, the person collecting the taxes get their cut, and then Rome gets their cut. Now the right to collect taxes in certain villages or district was auctioned off to the highest bidder. It had nothing to do with qualifications. It's a matter of who, who, who had the most money can buy the influence and buy the, buy the, the, the influence and power. So the chief tax collector contracted with the local tax collectors to bring in, bring in a certain amount of money. Anything over that amount was kept by the local tax collector. The local tax collectors were among the most despised members of the Jewish community for several reasons. Number one, they earned money by collecting other people's money, which was considered dishonorable in itself. Number two, they had a reputation of dishonesty. And number three, number three, they were actively operating with the Romans who were occupying the land of Israel. And number four, they were grouped together with prostitutes and sinners as the dregs of society. So you have tax collectors and you have the chief tax collector. So not in every region the taxes were even. You have a tax collector, you could say you have to pay, uh, I don't know, 10% of whatever in taxes. The tax collector in one region can say no. You have to pay 15% or 20%. Then he will give the chief tax collector 10% and he'll keep the difference. So it was crooked. They were crooked. So the tax collectors were despised. They were hated. They were considered like the dregs of society. Alright, so I'm saying all this just to give you a little history, history lesson so that you get the, the, the idea of the climate or the environment in which Jesus grew up in and which he also fulfilled his ministry. In other words, it was not roses. It was not a rosy environment. There was corruption. There was conflict. There was political and religious unrest. It wasn't an easy time. Alright, so I want us to turn to the book of Galatians chapter 4, verses 4 through and 5. And this is the son of promise coming from God into the world, into time and space, to his own creation and in the form of it. And I'm just going to read Galatians chapter 4, verses 4 through 5. The Bible says, But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, that we might receive the adoption of sons. I'm not going to spend a lot of time there, but I just want to show you that it says here, in the fullness of time. So this is a chosen time, chronologically in the history of man, that God chose to send, to come from eternity into time and space in the man called Jesus. And he said there he was born of a woman. 
And that's the only way he could have come into time and space. He has to have a physical body. Now, he was born of a woman also. I can give you the scripture references. There's Genesis chapter 3 verse 15 and Isaiah chapter 7 verse 14. These were scriptures here. The reference scriptures I gave you prophesied of what was happening when Jesus was born. Okay? So when we celebrate Christmas, that was the appointed time God chose for His Son to be birthed into the earth. Now He is born under the law to redeem those who were under the law that we might achieve the adoption of sons. So basically Jesus came to execute the plan of redemption, His purpose, and share the good news, His mission. And as I was thinking, I was reading this, I said, what a time to come into this corrupt world. But God chose that appointed time, and it's not by chance, He chose that time for His Son to come into the world, to execute, to do God's will, and to fulfill His mission. Now, I'd also like you to turn now to Luke chapter 4, verses 16 through 21, and this is where I'll spend the rest of the time. The book of Luke chapter 4, verses 16 through 21. So God chose the time for His Son to, to come into the, to the world at an appointed time. So some time has elapsed, and this is now just before He's ready to fulfill, to start His ministry. So Luke chapter 4, verse 16. So He came to Nazareth, where He had been brought up, And as custom, he went into the synagogue on the Sabbath day and stood up to read. And he was handed the book of the prophet Isaiah. And when he had opened the book, he found a place where it was written. Verse 18. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. Now Jesus, and there is, I'm going to, let me just break this down for you here. If you look at the first verse, he came to Nazareth, he was born in Bethlehem, Bethlehem, He came to Nazareth where he grew up. He was known in Nazareth. His father was known. His mother was known. His father was a carpenter. And as his custom, he went into the synagogue on the Sabbath day and stood up to read. So he's doing what he normally does. He always went into the the synagogue on the Sabbath and he always read from some scripture. Whether it's the book of Isaiah, whether it's from Moses, wherever. He, that was his custom. That is what he always did. Okay? On this specific day, when he was in the synagogue, he was handed the book. He got up to read like he always did. And he took the book of the prophet Isaiah. He was handed the book of the prophet Isaiah. And when he opened the book, He found the place where it was written. So he was handed the book. He looked for a certain place in the book 
of Isaiah where it was written and this is what he read. He found it and he read this. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, recover your sight to the blind, set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. Now he did that. Right? He read it. Then it says in verse 20, he closed the book, he gave it back to the attendant, sat down, and the eyes of all who were in the synagogue were fixed on him. And he said in verse 21, today, this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. What was different about that day? There was something different. Number one, he was in the synagogue and he was handed the book of Isaiah. He looked for this specific scripture and read it. Sat down. Now why did they look at him the way they did? This is not the first time he's been in the synagogue reading. Why did they look at him the way he did? And on top of that, he said, Today this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. Now this wasn't by chance. Jesus read this scripture because he was announcing something. He was making an announcement. He was making an announcement stating what was written. And this is going back to Isaiah chapter 61. He is, he's, he's reading what was written about him. And he was stating, this is my mission. This I am reading in the book of Isaiah is about me. And then he sat down and he said, today this scripture is fulfilling your hearing. He read it in a way in which he read it with authority, with conviction. Because they looked at him in a, in a strange way because of the way he read it. And then when he, when he saw them looking at, at him, he said, today this scripture is fulfilling your hearing. What I have just read about me that was prophesied now, I am here. The one who this was written about is standing in front of you. I have just read it. So now what you have heard is the scripture that was read, that was written before, is now fulfilled. And I am announcing to you what my mission is. So the people at that time in the synagogue, when they heard these scriptures, and when this was read, did not understand what was happening. This is not the first time they have read or heard, heard these scriptures read or read these scriptures, but there was something different about this time. What was actually read was actually the scripture being fulfilled. But they were blind because they didn't understand what was happening. They were clueless. Because if you look at what they said here in verse 22, all bore witness to him. And marveled at the gracious words which proceeded from his mouth. The way he read it. He read it with conviction. And they said, is this not Joseph's son? So in other words, I mean, we know him. This is Joseph's kid. So they, were, they, were, they marveled at, what he, at how he read it and what he said. Jesus told them, 
but they did not believe. God was working, keeping his promise, but the people were unaware. Even the scholars, the ones who, the ones who were in the synagogue, who supposed to know the scriptures, didn't even know this scripture was being fulfilled. That the one, the one of the, the son of promise, who was written about in the book of Isaiah, he's here in between them, with them, and they did not recognize him. So what does that tell me? They didn't understand the sign of the times. They didn't understand what was happening right in front of their faces. They were a witness to a prophecy being fulfilled and did not even know it. So what is that? What are the implications of the signs of the times and of the signs of the times? And why is it important that we understand? God is at work keeping his promises. Do we recognize what he is doing? Do we, do we even recognize the signs of the times and what God is actually doing? Most of the people on this earth have no clue of what's happening. They are the few through whom God is revealing what he is doing. But we as children of God, we're supposed to know what God is doing. We won't know the details because God only gives the details when we need to know it. And he gives it to those who need to know it. But the scriptures have been written so that we will not be in darkness, so that we would understand the signs of the times. But you can only understand it if you know God. Because the Spirit will reveal what was happening to you. So that we will not walk in darkness and we won't have to fear. Do we know Him? The only way we cannot walk in darkness is if we know Him. And if we don't know Him, we won't understand what is happening. There's a lot of fear right now with people. A lot of confusion. A lot of chaos. But people are fearful because they don't know. They can't see. But as I said, God will make it known, but we have to be open to receive it. Because Jesus promised, He said, I don't call you, I don't call you servants anymore, I call you friends. He said, I call you friends because I will make known to you what is happening. I have, no, I'm hiding nothing from you. I will make it known. Jesus' mission was to be done God's way. And not man's way. In the climate he grew up in. In the climate he did his ministry. Everything he did. Was done God's way. Even today. People still have a difficult time. Understanding God's ways. But if we know his character. We will know his ways. And it all comes down to love. Because God is love. And Jesus' mission, everything he read there about himself, has to do with the love of God. Everything has to do with the love of God. Because that's who God is. Everything God does, everything he says, is a reflection of his love. It's not human love. It's God, the way God loves. God does not love the way human loves. Human love is conditional on how you, be, how you treat that person. God's love is not conditional. It's unconditional. It's sacrificial. 
The Lord had, had the plan and the means to execute what Jesus stated. And with every move of God, whether big or small, there were always a remnant. There were always people, those who were willing to do His will. Those who were willing to submit to His will. And Jesus was the perfect example. He was always about doing His Father's will. And that should also be our heart. So as I go through the series, I'm going to use examples of Jesus and how what he said here in Isaiah about what was written to him in the book of Isaiah. His mission and also his purpose. And I'm going to give examples of no matter what the, the political environment was, what the, the social unrest, everything, the chaos that was going on. He was never distracted from his mission and his purpose. And when you know your mission and your purpose, it's not easy to get distracted and lose focus of why you are here. And you see, that's what where I want to help us to go. I want to take us so we can look at Jesus' example and understand where we fit in. Understand what we ought to be doing. Where our focus needs to be. All right, so um, this is, um, no, I'm going to stop there for today and I'll pick this up next week. All right, so I want you to think about your mission and your purpose. Your mission is your assignment. Your purpose is why are you created. Why are you here? Why were your parents, why are your parents your parents? Why are you born into a certain family? What is the impact you're supposed to have on the people around you. Because your purpose. Once you know your purpose. You know your mission. So I want you to you know, take the time to think about it. And think about the heart of God. And the character of God. Your mission. And your purpose. And when you know your mission and your purpose. Your life has meaning. You don't feel empty. You don't feel like you're just existing. But then you live a purposeful life. You live a life of meaning. You live a life that be that would be very rewarding. When I look around and I see people who are doing things because they know it's it's something that's in them that this is something I need to be doing. I see young children, kids, just in their heart doing good. Taking steps of faith and doing great things sacrificially. Why? Because of love. They don't know it's love, but it's love. They're giving of themselves to benefit others. And I think about my life. I say, my goodness. But the thing about it, we're not all called to do the same thing. And you see examples like with, 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 with COVID-19, what's going on? Some kids will be like collecting this on their heart. Let's to collect food. They want to help. This little kid sewing masks because she wants to help. She wants to benefit others. I saw yesterday this teenager. He wants to be a medical doctor. And he came up with using his own money, his own time, come up with 
15 minute COVID test. You take the test, you get the results in 15 minutes. Why? Because he saw a need. And no one had to tell him. It's on his heart. Why? He's trying to, be- he's looking to benefit others. He's found a mission and a purpose. Okay? So I'm going to continue with this next week. Alright? And uh, I really hope you receive something today. In Jesus' name.